And we're continuing our study in the book of Matthew. And we're teaching us how to live in this world as kingdom of God believers. You know, it is difficult to live today in America as a true Christian. But you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you to allow you to do the impossible. And that is represent him in this culture that is changing. He'll give you the strength. We're talking today about the, the title today is Bad News, God's Invitation is Rejected. And it's actually talking about the wedding feast, the parable of the wedding feast. And Jesus is going to give an invitation. This is the third time that he'll be approaching the Pharisees. Third time that he's speaking to them specifically in the temple where there's multiple people there. They've confronted him, and now he is speaking to them individually. He talked about the two sons, the one that would go and the one didn't, and the one that said he would go and didn't go, the one that didn't, wasn't going to go and went. That's how that whole thing went. And then we talked about the landowner, and the landowner... Was, was Israel, and he had a vineyard, and he cultivated the vineyard. He, he, he nurtured the vineyard. He fertilized the vineyard. He put protective towers in the vineyard. He expected a harvest. He put a wine press in the vineyard, but it did not produce good grapes, and it had to be set aside. And we saw it in Isaiah chapter 5, the example of that, the nation of Israel being set aside. And now he's going to speak, and he's talking to the Pharisees on each one of these. You were the ones that were wrong in each one of these. You were the ones that are going to be set aside. And now the invitation to the wedding, and they'll be set aside today. And it'll be in your face, Pharisees. And it's really uh, stringent what Jesus says here today. It is unmistakable. So it's bad news when God's invitation to be part of the wedding is rejected. So if you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. This Word that you have before you today is the infallible, inerrant word of the living God, and it means everything to us. It's God's message to us on how to live in this world today. Verse, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called and few are chosen. This is the word of God. Our Father, we are grateful today that we can hear and sit and study your word in a free country. Thank you that we can assemble here together as the people of God. And Holy Spirit, right now I ask you to speak to each one of our hearts. For a moment, may we set the world aside. May we set all the troubles that we bring in here aside. And may we hear from you, our God, today. 
things that you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We talked about the parable of the landowner and how they actually rejected God. And it was the Pharisees that he is speaking to. And he said to them this statement as a consequence, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. Now, remember, the kingdom offer to the Jewish people was a legitimate offer. This isn't something that was offered that they couldn't take. They had the they had the free will to be able to accept or reject the offer, and they rejected the offer multiple, multiple times. You'll see that in our teaching today. Now, the kingdom for Israel is postponed. God will revisit the nation of Israel, but it will be in the tribulation period. And if you remember, the consequence for the Jewish nation, because they rejected the kingdom of God, is they will go through the tribulation. The main focus of the tribulation is the nation of Israel. That is the 70th week of Daniel. Remember the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy. That is in Daniel chapter 9, 24. 70 week years have been given to your people, Daniel, as they came back from Babylonian captivity after being captured for 70 years. He says 70 week years, 490 years, you have to complete a certain list of things, it says in 924. And that list will come up on the screen. This is the 70 weeks. What would be accomplished had they received the Messiah? These things would have been accomplished, and they would have went into the millennial kingdom after that last seven years was completed. They could have totally not had to go through the tribulation period. Number one, to finish the transgression. This is all the things that Messiah will do. To make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, that's what Jesus did when he died for our sins, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, we'll no longer need those things, to anoint the most holy place, that's the temple, that's the temple that you see in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, that's the millennial temple, be dedicated to God. These six things, are they were fulfilled the Jewish people would not have had to go through the worst time in the history of the world, the seven-year tribulation period. Now, those seven years are specifically, again, for the Jewish people. And remember, they have to do two things. That's two for this side and two for this side, not four. Two things. And you know what they are. They had to admit their national sin of rejecting Messiah. I hope you never forget this. And plead for him to return. They have to admit their sin and they have to plead for Jesus to come back. They will not do that until the final few days of the tribulation period. When they are ready to be destroyed, Antichrist is ready to destroy the Jewish people, and Jesus will come to Basra or Petra and save them from the clutches of Antichrist. But it will be at the very, very end. And they'll have to go through all of those seal judgments, trumpet judgments, bowl judgments that we talked about, the horrificness of the tribulation period, that all who reject Jesus and are not taken up in the rapture will then go into the tribulation period and experience this awfulness. Need not be. So, I want you to think about this. Bad news when God's invitation is rejected. In that verses 1 and 2, we have the marriage of the Son. Very specifically, the marriage of the son. And Jesus answered and spoke to them. Again, it's to the Pharisees he's speaking to. It's in your face, Pharisees. You are the ones that have the problem. By parables. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who would be God, 
who arranged a marriage for his son, who would be Jesus. That's right. That's right. Jesus. You get most 90% correct answers if you just say Jesus. It could be Jesus. Jesus. That's right. The kingdom of heaven is like. So all the focus here is on the son. It's not really talking about the bride here. It's talking about the son. God has arranged a marriage for his son. Now, what you need to know and what is most germane to you is that this invitation goes out to every and all. This will come up on the screen. Every and all. That word is pas. And I'll mention this several times. P-A-S in the Greek. And it does mean everybody included. The invitation is open to all humanity. But it is through a narrow road, and that narrow road is Jesus Christ himself. There's only one way to get to God, and that's through Jesus. So we know that. God will have a bride for his son. The question will be, who will be the bride? That is the question. And the first offer, the first offer goes to the nation of Israel. Remember, it's always to the Jew first and then to the Greek. When Jesus did his ministry, he just did his ministry in Israel to the Jewish people. He tried to shun away from the Gentiles. He did engage them, but it was primarily to the Jewish people. Paul says in Romans 1.16, he makes this very, very clear. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentiles. It's the, that, the people group in that order. The invitation, first of all, went to the nation of Israel. And God sent his son personally to the nation of Israel. Jesus went to minister to the nation of Israel. They rejected the kingdom. And now there's tragic consequences for this. And for anybody who rejects God's offer of salvation through his son, there are tragic consequences. Everybody's got that, right? Tragic consequences if you reject. So Christ's offer of betrothal has eternal consequences, eternal consequences. The union, once accepted, is an eternal union once for all. If it is rejected, it has eternal consequences, which would be separation from God in a place that we traditionally call hell. Okay, hell is real, but the real place, the final abode of the lost, whether it's the angelic realm who have rebelled against God or humanity who have rebelled against God, is the lake of fire, which is hell. Okay? That's the final abode. This, tra- this is tragic, and this is terrible. The nation of Israel rejected the offer of the kingdom, and the consequences, again, were the tribulation period, seven years of awfulness. And by God's grace, in the tribulation period, by God's grace, when he pours out the seal, trumpet, and bold judgments, which are horrific, each one of them is showing the earth dwellers what hell will be like. And it's actually a demonstration of God's grace. And each one of them, he says, don't go there, repent, turn and live. Don't go there until he gets to the sixth trumpet. And that's the last trumpet. I believe that's the last invitation to salvation in Revelation chapter 9 that you see in the tribulation period. Those chapters 6 through 19. And they will reject and they will not repent, and they will bear the consequences. Now, we know that many will be saved in the tribulation period. Thank God, many will be saved. It'll be the greatest evangelistic effort ever. The greatest harvest of souls in the history of the world, I think, will happen in the tribulation period. 
during that awfulness. It'll cost your life to serve Jesus. Revelation chapter 7, 9 says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one can number of all nations, tribes, people, and tongue. Every single people group on earth is involved. And they are standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And in chapter 7, verse 14, Revelation 7, 14, it says who these people were. These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. It's extending through the whole period of time, beginning to the end, 6 through 19. These are the ones that came out of the great tribulation, this multitude of people. Now, you know that the 144,000 Jewish evangelists are used to evangelize the world. We've taught that. We've, we've been through these scriptures. You also know that the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 will also be used to evangelize much of the world. They'll be on all kinds of media attention for those guys. But then you know the super-duper effort of God when three angels in Revelation chapter 14 literally fly across the world, the first one with the gospel, every person will hear it, the second one saying Babylon has fallen, Antichrist system has fallen, and the third one saying because that system has fallen, don't take the mark of the beast. If you take the mark of the beast, you are eternally condemned. There's no takes back once you've committed loyalty to the beast. You are sealed in your, in your decision. So with that, God will have a people for himself. You must remember that. He's calling out. He will have a people for himself. Verses 3 through 6, the servants are sent out. Some are ignored and some are killed. Verses 3 through 6, and sent out his servants. God sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. Now, this is an invitation to the Jewish leadership and the Jewish nation. Had the Jewish leadership accepted Jesus, they would have influenced the nation to do the same. So he's really talking specifically to them at this point. They invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all those are ready. Come to the wedding. This is a plea. Come to the wedding. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his own business. They just went about their business and just ignored Jesus. So that is the picture. Now, I want you to think about something. Israel is God's chosen nation. They were the nation that was supposed to represent him to the rest of the world. If you remember in the book of Genesis, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 12, you go through the Tower of Babel in chapter 11, all the people are running away from God. There's no one serving the Most High God, and God calls one man, Abraham, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he will be God's man. And from Abraham will come the Jewish nation, and from the Jewish nation will come Messiah, who will change the world. That was the plan. The Jewish people were to be the ones that were introduced Messiah to the world, and they rejected it. They did not want to be that entity. So now the church has that responsibility. You're living in the church age now, and Israel has been set aside. The kingdom has been 
postponed for a time. But again, I think we're galloping right in to the tribulation period, right on our precipice. We're on the precipice of that. So the first offer was given, I think, in, this, in the context here, would be John the Baptist. He's preparing the nation, and it's the first offer of the kingdom to the nation. And, and, he's, and he's given that offer. Jesus also is given that offer, and he's rejected. John the Baptist is rejected, and Jesus is rejected. So then there's a second offer. God would send other servants. That's verse 4. Other servants. And I think these are the disciples that went out two by two. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, we see 70 went out at one time. 70 went out at one time. And the, and the cry is really, come to the wedding. We're inviting you to the wedding. Come to the wedding. Believe and receive the gift of salvation. Believe in the Messiah. Now, this is what happens. This is what happens today. Whenever the gospel is given, some ignored the invitation. And I would say most of the people ignored the invitation. And, I, and when you think about ignored the invitation, just kind of went about their way, went about their business, they went to their farms, they went to their business, that's kind of a picture of the church in the, in the West or the people in the West. So you're not persecuted yet. But then there are those, the second group, some are persecuted and some are killed for bringing the invitation. Folks, that's the majority of the world today. If you don't live in the Western culture, you're living with, with the threat of death all the time under you. Today, in India, there's, there's a place in there called Manipur. And we just got this report from Mission India that the churches are being burned, the Christians are being killed, and this is happening in India, Pakistan, Iran, all over this world. North Korea is probably the worst. And you will be killed for being a Christian. Now, you know why you're killed? You're not rebelling against the government. You're not lawless. You're not robbing or stealing or anything like that. You're killed because you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the name of the Lord Jesus is a threat to the demonic realm. That's why you're killed. That's why you're killed. The world fears the name of Jesus. The demonic realm fears the name of Jesus. So they will, with impunity, kill Christians. And that's what is happening today. The leadership, make no mistake, despised Jesus. They hated him, and they wanted him dead, and they ultimately got him killed. But not until the appointed time. The leadership will eventually influence the people. And the people, the same people who on Sunday, Palm Sunday, were crying out, Hosanna, save now, Jesus. We accept you as our king. And a few days later on Friday are crying out, crucify him. Crucify him. Kill him. Why were they saying that? Because Jesus did not meet their expectations of freeing them from Rome and setting up the kingdom at that time so that they would be able to enter the kingdom and have positions of authority. Now, I want you to think about this. We can extrapolate from this, I think, some truth. Today, many people reject Jesus because he does not perform for them. He does not do exactly what they think Jesus should do. Or they make Jesus up in their own mind, and they have a pretend Jesus, an imaginary Jesus. Just like when you're little, you're, you're, playing, you're playing outside, and you have pretend playmates outside. If you lived in a farm, you don't have anybody to play with. You have to have pretend playmates, okay? Now, I want you to think about this. When a human, when a human asks Jesus to perform for them, this is faulty thinking about who Jesus is. You must realize who you're dealing with here. Jesus is God. 
He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God incarnate. Make no mistake about this. We may not understand what God is doing. We may not understand this at all. We don't know the whys and the ways of God. But one thing you must know is that God knows even when I don't know. And think about this. And I think everyone struggles with this from time to time. This concept of this is God cares. Think about, uh, please let that just resonate in your mind. God cares. No matter what you're going through, what trauma, what misery you're going through, God cares. God loves you. He does. Now we have, I have a picture here of two words. These are the incommunicable aspects of God, attributes of God. We don't possess this. There are communicable aspects of God. And if you want to, well, actually, it's two weeks from now. On Tuesday, when I do my teaching, I'll be talking to you about the communicable aspects of God and the incommunicable aspects of God and extolling who God is. So come on Tuesdays. But anyway, imminent, not imminent, imminent, I-M-M-I-N, is Jesus can come any time. But imminent, A-N-E-N-T, means he's close to us. He's involved in our lives. He is not far from us. He is loving. But God is also, Jesus is also, he's God, transcendent, completely different from us. He is not, uh, he is not the, tr- the, the plant. He is not in the wood. He is not in the wall, as pantheism or panentheism says. He is transcendent. He has created everything. By him, all things are made and held together. And he is abjectly holy. He is God. So he is close, but yet he is outside of of his creation. So that's an important concept. And we'll talk about that more two weeks from now on Tuesday when you come. Yes, okay. So the church does does not usher in the kingdom. Uh, Rest assured, Jesus sees how his bride is being treated. Make no mistake, he sees what's happening in North Korea. He sees what's happening in China. He sees what's happening in Manipal, India. He does not wink at this. The tragedy of rejection. Verse 7. Judgment. Judgment. But when the king heard about it, that's God, he was furious, enraged, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. This is a horrendous consequence of rejecting Jesus. God sees everything. Now, this is important to know. North Korea is not getting away with anything. We don't get away with anything. God sees all and does not wink at the persecution of his bride, the church. He was furious. He sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, burned up their city. Now, this came true. This is prophetic by Jesus. In 70 A.D., Rome came. And I have written here in your overhead, your city will be destroyed. That's really what he's saying. In 70 A.D., Rome came and Rome destroyed the city. Not one stone was left upon another in Jerusalem. The temple was torn down. And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus will explain this. Everything is going to be torn down. Why did this happen? Jesus told them plainly why it happened in Luke chapter 19, 43 through 44. You've heard this many times. 
But please do not miss the key point that I'm going to bring out here. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. This is fulfilled in 70 AD again. Surround you, close you in on every side, and level you and your children to the ground. Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes that during this siege, which actually took several years, there were up to a million Jews that were killed. Men, women, and children. Cannibalism even took place in the city as they were being starved out. Up to a million Jews were killed. Why? And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know that I was the Messiah. All the prophets had told you. You should have known. You should have known. How many times did Jesus tell the Pharisees, have you not read? Have you not read? Does that, can we extrapolate from that anything for us? Have we not read what's going to be happening? Have we not read that there's an Antichrist coming? Have we not read that there's a one-world government coming? Have we not read about a one-world monetary system, a one-world religion? Have we not read and be ready for these types of things? Have you not read? That is so you're not all anxious and all under consternation because we're going to some changes here. The king is coming. That's what it means to me. So what we should know, we should know what Jesus says is coming. Have you not read church? Have you not read? God holds us responsible for what he has written in his word. He holds all of us responsible, particularly his bride, particularly those who claim the name of Jesus. He holds us responsible. No excuse will work. There are no excuses. He did not allow them to have any excuses. Verses 8 through 10, God's invitation is to everyone. Everyone. I love this. It includes us. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Why? Because they rejected. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Folks, God will have a people for himself out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. He will have a people. The call is universal. Every age, all are invited. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, religious, non-religious, good, bad, ugly. God's invitation is to everyone. It does not matter your pedigree. It does not matter your past sins. Those are all taken care of through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter your past life. Everybody needs a Savior, and anyone who cries out to God can be saved. I don't care if you're the most wretched murderer in the world, rapist, thief, think of some awful, nasty thing. If you repent and ask God to forgive you your sins, you can be saved. Now, you might have to bear those consequences, like the son of Sam did after he killed all those people. He's in Rikers Island or some prison in New York. And he even says, I can't get parole. He doesn't even try to get parole. I was guilty of that. I deserve this punishment. But he's a witness there. He's a Christian today. A Christian today. An, an amazing thing. God's invitation is all. It's universal. 
doesn't matter your pedigree. Romans 10, 13 says it plainly. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that just comforting? See, we, we grade sin. Well, my little sin isn't as bad as that little sin. God is holy and righteous. Sin is sin. Any sin separates you from a holy God. You have to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Why do most reject the invitation? You ever wonder that? Well, first of all, you have the triunity of evil that is working against you. You have the world system. You have your flesh, which just loves the world system and loves to do its thing. That's your flesh. And then you have the devil, which, of course, is influencing all these, these other two. The world, the flesh, and the devil, that's your triune enemy. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ. You need a miracle. You need God to put the light on in you so that you can believe and receive the gift of salvation. And I want you to also process this. The king had the power to force his will on the people. He did not. He could make them come to the wedding feast. He did not. He could make them honor his son. He did not. God could have created robots. You've heard this before in this argument of free will and that sort of thing. He could have created robots to do exactly what he wanted. And I want you to think about this really strong. God does not force. God does not coerce anyone to be his bride. He loves them. He woos them. He nurtures them. Just like a husband is to love and to woo and to nurture, even though rejected. See, the majority reject. The majority reject. Even the bride of Christ today don't treat Jesus as he should be treated. Must remember that. God woos his bride. He does not drag his bride or beat his bride into submission. God's grace is immense. Now, you know this. John three sixteen and 17, you know by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting is the word ionios. And that is forever and ever and ever. And also everlasting death or contempt is forever and ever. Ionios, same word. Same word, life or death, all depending on what you do with Jesus. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. No, he did not. But that the world through him might be saved. Now, you know, as good Calvary Chapel students, the two main reasons, there are many reasons Jesus came, but the two main reasons that Jesus came was to seek and to save the lost and to destroy the works of the devil. And that's what he accomplished with the cross and the resurrection. The Father draws. No one can come unless the Father draws him, John 6, 44. The Spirit convicts of sin, singular. It's singular because it's rejecting Messiah. It's all about Messiah, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Jesus said in John 12, 32, If I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. You have the triunity of God involved in your salvation. And listen to this. God desires you. And that's all of humanity to be part of his family. But one must receive the wedding invitation, believe and receive the gift of salvation. There was a problem at the wedding festivities. Somebody snuck in. How did this guy get in here? 
That's verse 11 and 12. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless, caught, discovered instantly by God. We, what do we call this guy today? We call him a wedding crasher. And what do, what do wedding crashers want? They want the food. They want the drink. They want the dance. They want the girls that are there at the wedding. They want all that stuff that has to do with the wedding. They want nothing. To, they don't care about the, the son. They don't care about the bridegroom or the bride. They just want their stuff. That's what they want. It's all, it's all about them. The picture is clear. Hear this. This guy was not clothed in the proper garments. And that is the garments of the righteousness of Christ. That is Jesus' righteousness being credited to you. When the king came in to see, I want you to focus on that word see, see the guest, and he saw a man who did not have on the wedding garment. That word see is this, to view attentively, a deliberate observation and inspection of the guest. It is more than a cursory glance. Like, let's see who's here today. Uh, no, he knows, he knows exactly who's supposed to be there and who's not. Now, there is something in theology called justification. And I want to put this up on the screen. We've been through this before, but I think it's very germane because we're talking about the proper wedding garment. The wedding garment is you believing in Jesus and you are justified. And justification is God's righteousness is credited to the believer. This is a legal term. This is a forensic term. This is something that is done the minute that someone believes. The minute you believe, your sins are credited to Jesus. He took all of your sins on the cross, but your sins have been credited to Jesus. Christ's righteousness imputed to you, your sins imputed or credited to Jesus. What a deal. He takes the beating, he takes the death, he takes the humiliation, and we come in as the bride of Christ. And how do we treat our bride from time to time? We ignore him. Sometimes we might be violently ignore him. We do our own thing. We expect him to do certain things that he didn't tell us that he would do. The bride. Other di now, think about this. How did this dude get in there, and everybody else has got on the garments, and he doesn't have on the garments? You'd think somebody in the group would have said something. Hey, you're not dressed right. You shouldn't be here. No. This guy was not clothed in the proper garments. The garment of righteousness of Christ. Other guests did not notice he looked like, sounded like, smelled like, acted like a guest. But he was not a guest. He was phony. He didn't have on the proper garments. Now, really process this. Really think about this. Many today seem to be part of the wedding procession. They seem to be part of it. Many would pass a cursory exam, just kind of a shallow examination. But when the king examines you for real, he will see and he will know. The king can see a phony from a mile away. You may fool people. You may fool yourself. But you will not fool God. Period. Period. Be sure you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. In order to be safe. Let's talk about being safe. 
Getting to heaven safely, you have to have on the right clothes. All the guy has to do or gal has to do to be safe is to put on the righteousness of Christ and simply say, I believe in you, Jesus. I place my trust in you, Jesus. I that believe, remember it's pastillo, I commit myself to put my trust in you as my Savior. That is salvation. The instant you do that, you have the wedding garments on. Now, thinking about safe, this man feigned belief. This man looked like he was good to everyone around him again. But no one is safe because they think they are safe. You're only safe if you're truly in Christ. That's why we're told often in Scripture to examine ourselves, to examine our lives to see whether we are in the faith. C.S. Lewis in his Chronicles of Narnia, I love this. You've seen it many times. This lion. This lion's going to come up and it's going to say this. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, the lion, the king, sees through everything. And he's not safe for those who are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He is not safe. He is your judge. He is your judge. But if you are safe... If you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, the second picture is for you. Tell me if this isn't the truth. They turned. They turned. Just picture yourself clothed in the rights of Christ and saw the lion himself. One of these days this will happen to you when you go to heaven. So bright and real and strong that everything began to look pale and shadowy compared to him. Everything in our world just kind of fades away as Jesus becomes preeminent, preeminent. Oh, those who are safe have on the right garments. Make sure you're really saved. Now, what happens next is absolutely tragic and need not happen. But watch what happens. Verse 13, the phony is rejected and thrown out. Verse 13, then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot. This doesn't sound gentle to me. This sounds like they're grabbing this dude up and they're throwing him around and they're binding him and getting ready to throw him out on his ear. Take him away and cast him, cast him, you've heard that word, I'll explain it again, into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This could not be sadder, all because he thought he was okay. I'm good enough. I can do it my way, and God's going to accept me. No, he will not. It's only one way. That's through Jesus. You've heard that a million times. This guy was naked and bare before the eyes who saw him of who he must give an account to. And I would say this loud and clear. Do not mess with God. Your arms are too short to box with God. You have alligator arms. Remember, I've said this before. Alligator arms, boom, 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 boom. But he's Muhammad Ali. Boom, boom. And you're going to be one peppered dude. I mean, don't fight with God. Bind him hand and foot. Now, what happens next is tragic. Cast him into outer darkness. Now, just get the picture here. This is thrown with, with, with vigor. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I would suggest to you that you take a look at this picture here of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine this forever? Never-ending, jaw-clenching, grating, never relief, constant discomfort, no hope of relief. 
That is the picture here. Other theologians also have expressed their feelings on this, and they say they state this. People who have rejected God hate God. And forever, they're just grinning their teeth at God on how much they hate him. Any way that you look at it, this is misery forever. And I think it's the misery part. I would take the first explanation is the way I, I look at it. But anyway, the cast, cast. And again, that word is ekbelo. That is with vision, that, excuse me, with violence. That is with vigor that he's thrown out. Never-ending jaw-clenching stuff. Now, who are the called and the chosen? You can have a whole fight about this. The church has fought about this for 2,000 years, the called and the chosen. So I'm going to try to tap dance through this section. But I'll give you the truth as I see it, okay? For many are called, but few are chosen. Just a plain statement by Jesus. Plain statement, flat out, just makes the statement. And I want, in thinking about this called and chosen, think about Jesus. He is gracious. He is constantly calling out to humanity to believe and be saved. Remember, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles, but the call goes out, and it goes out constantly. It goes out over and over and over. Those, I don't think there's any debate about this next statement as I phrased it. Those who receive the call and respond to the invitation are the ones who are chosen. Now, you can't fight with that, whatever system you believe in. If you receive the call and you responded, you're chosen. You're chosen. The word called is this. It's kalitos. And it means called, invited, welcomed, appointed. It is an invitation to come. Now, is the invitation a real invitation? Can someone really come or can they not come? And it seems to me what we see in Scripture is that someone can come. It's only through the Spirit. Now, remember, you can't do this on your own. God draws, the Spirit convicts, Jesus draws, all of God is drawn. God has to open the eyes, soften the heart. God does all of the work. He lays it out to you and says, take the gift. And people go, no, I don't want that gift. I don't want that gift. It's such a tragedy. It seems that people that are invited can respond to the call. Chosen is the word ekletos, and it means to select, to choose for oneself, the idea of that which is choice. And when I say choice, I don't mean that you're special or anything like that. God isn't just choosing you because you're special. You're choice because you're beautiful in the eyes of God because you've responded to the salvation message. You've re you responded to it. Those who receive the invitation are termed the chosen. Now, Robert Dean gives us a little bit of insight on his view of this, and he will use the word choice in here. This is where I got this concept from. I think he's got some validity with it. So I don't, though I don't believe God saves anyone because you're special and you're not. No, all of us are de de sinners deserving hell. And those who believe and receive the gift are by the grace of God enter into the kingdom of God. Just that simple. God does not take anybody because they're great and wonderful and terrific. Robert Dean says this. So the question, quote, the qu question is that each of us must answer is what kind of clothes do you have on for eternity? That's a legitimate question. The question is, are you chosen? Are you choice? What makes you chosen is not what you've done or what you didn't do. It's not the sins you committed or the sins you didn't commit. It's not where you were born. It's not your social economic status. It's not your ethnicity. 
The issue is the gospel. Do you have Jesus' clothes on? Do you have the righteousness of Christ? That is the question. End quote. Now, this is me. Did you believe and receive the gift? If, this will come up on the screen, if you respond to the divine call, then you can know that you know that you are chosen. I don't think that's debatable under any system. You're special. You're chosen to be part of the family of God. In closing, it truly is bad news for those who reject God's invitation of salvation. Folks, judgment, and it will be awful, and it will be severe. When Jesus comes back, he is not playing, so to speak. He is not soft and gentle, cuddly little baby Jesus. He is the king that is coming back. The picture is awful of judgment. We see this in the book of Revelation. Now, what I'm going to explain to you, this is not a fantasy. Some people say, oh, the book of Revelation, that's just fantasy. No, it isn't. This is what is coming. Have you not read? Do you not know that this is coming? He holds us responsible for this. Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 16, Jesus comes on a white horse. With him, the armies of heaven. And on his thigh are written the names, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he is coming back to put down the rebellion on earth. In chapter 19, 17 through 21, the beast and his armies, which are called the earth dwellers in the book of Revelation, those who are rebelling against God, the earth dwellers are defeated with a word from God. See, we come back with Jesus, but we're not in the fight. We're getting to watch him. Oh, look at my big brother. He's just beating the snot out of all those kids that beat up on me. Well, that's what's happening here. Jesus is coming back, and he's taking care of business. And the false prophet and antichrist are cast alive, thump, bello, cast alive with vigor into the lake of fire. Then Satan is bound, and then he is cast, bello, with vigor into the abyss. The abuso is the word, the bottomless pit. And there he'll be in chains, and there he'll be sealed, and his fate is sealed for a thousand years. And then he is released for a short time to deceive the nations, and God will very quickly put down that rebellion and throw him into the lake of fire forever. Then the next thing that happens is Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 14. It's called the great white throne judgment. This is real. This is true. This will happen. The, the, the people who are unbelievers, those dead, those who are living at the time, will go into the great white throne judgment. The books will be opened. and Your life will be exposed fully. And then the book will be opened, the book of life. And in that book, is your name written or not? Did you believe in Jesus as your Savior or not? Are you in that book or not? And all at that judgment will not find their names in the book of life. And they will be cast or thrown into the lake of fire forever, separated from God, where there be wailing, weeping, gnashing of teeth forever. The great white throne judgment because they weren't clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Now, let me say this. It really does not matter if you believe this or not in the sense of, your eternity it does, but in the sense of, I'm just going to, I don't believe this. I'm, I'm talking to people who, who are doubts, who don't want to accept this. 
doesn't matter if you believe it or not. What matters is what is true. What is true is true. And hear this loud and clear. God is not a liar. God is actually for you. God is not against you. He wants you to be part of his family. He's done everything for you. If someone goes to hell, they have fought against the triunity of God. They have fought against God coming to them over and over and over and rejecting the offer, the free will offer. God is not a liar. He always tells us the truth. One can't ignore God. He won't make you. One can pretend that God doesn't exist. That's happening more and more today. It doesn't change a thing. One can make God up in their mind, in their own image, and pretend that they're okay and that they're safe. My God is okay with me, living any way that I want. No, he's not. One can believe they're good enough to enter the wedding. They are not. It's truly all about believing and receiving the gift of salvation. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 could not be more clear. For by grace, the subject is salvation. There's even a debate in Christianity about what the subject of this is. The subject here is salvation, no question about it. By grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Sola gracia, sola fide, sola Christos. Grace through faith in Christ alone. That is salvation. That is the only way to get to heaven. The subject of that is salvation. I think grace is a gift. I think salvation is a gift. I think faith is a gift. All of them. But the subject here is salvation. It's a gift of God, lest any should boast. Our world is virtually devoid of the true God. There's 8 billion people on the planet, folks. 8 billion. And the vast majority don't want anything to do with the true God. Many don't even know anything that he exists. They're caught up in Hinduism or Islam or other world religions that deny God. A growing number are coming God deniers, atheists, particularly in America. As America has become post-Christian, the gods of the world have flooded in, and now people are believing all kinds of fantasies and, and discarding the true God. This is a tragedy. This is happening today. And listen to this. A growing number are abandoning Orthodox Christianity. What is Orthodox Christianity? You believe what the Bible says in context, not out of context. That's Orthodox Christianity. They have abandoned Orthodox Christianity for phony, quasi-soft American Christianity. That is what we see today throughout the nation. It is a tragedy made up and devoid of Scripture, devoid of Scripture, devoid of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's power, the peace of God that passes all understanding, devoid of it. You know what you want more than anything? When you're going through your crummy time, you want the presence of God. You want the presence of God with you more than you want anything in this world. You want the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You want the parakletos to come alongside you and comfort you, to hold you in his arms. When somebody you love passes, you need someone to hold you. You need God to hold you. When you have some tragedy in your family, you need God to hold you. When you have a bad diagnosis, you need the presence of God. You need it. Today, many people are running from God. 
when they should be running to God. I would suggest that as our world devolves and becomes scarier, and it is becoming scarier, it's changing right before our eyes. This is not your, well, this is not the world I grew up in. It's a tragedy for the young people today. They're growing up in this mess, and they think this is the norm. They think this is the norm. This is not the norm. This is post-Christian America. If you have a problem, folks, put your running shoes on and run to God. Don't run from Him. The question that must be asked as our world changes and devolves is this. A picture will come up here. Two pictures will come up. Are you running away from God or to Him? And if the second one, you'll see someone running from the light into the darkness, thinking they're safe with the darkness. No, they are not. This is not a time to run from God into the darkness. And I would suggest, again, run to God. He is your only safe place in this changing world. Now, I have two pictures I want to leave you with. Number one will come up, run to God, not away from God. That is important. That will be life-saving for you. Number two is Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. Focus on that word, safe. They've run into God. They're running into the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. The consequence of rejecting God is awful awful outer darkness god has given you a special invitation to run from him and hear this i made a big deal about this whole thing about being safe being safe no one is safe this will come up on the screen no one is safe because they think they are safe one is only safe if they are truly in christ you can have on phony wedding garments and people can look at you and think you're safe. You may not be safe because God sees the right garment. He knows who has the right garment on. He sees all. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would, well, I would expect you. After listening to this, I would, if I was listening to this, I would say, how do I do this? Well, it's as simple as believing. 200 times in the New Testament, 98 times or so in the book of John, the criteria for salvation is believe. Commit to, put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your sin bearer. He taken your sins. Confess your sins to God. Say, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Please forgive me, Jesus. I believe you died for me. If you do that, you have been clothed with the wedding garments. It's just that simple. Just that simple. Calling all responders to the invitation. Do not dawdle. Do not walk, and I would suggest run. Run to Jesus. Run to him now. Believe and receive the gift of salvation. Do not be in the group that is cast out. I'm telling you, this is the truth. Jesus told us this. Jesus always tells the truth. Do not be in that group that is cast out. And finally, that picture again. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. You want to be safe? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe and receive the gift of salvation. Then you will be saved. Father, thank you for this time.
Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are in this room today. You are speaking to each person here. And Lord, right now, I ask you, you see all things. You see this room. You see who has the righteousness of Christ and who does not. And I pray right now that you reveal to people where they really are. For those who are not genuinely in the family of God, may they see that. And may they say, Jesus, I believe in you. I place my trust in you. Please save me, Lord. For those who are saved but not living the life, I would plead with you to confess your sins. And God is faithful and just to forgive us your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Lord, we need you more than we need anything. In a world that is devolving, may we experience the presence of God and the safety of being close to God. In Jesus' name, amen.